Welcome to 43026, a Hilliard podcast. I'm Heather Keck, here today with my co-host, Andy Teeter. We're recording from our studio office at the Hilliard Area Chamber of Commerce. We love the advocacy and support the Chamber provides our local businesses, both small and large. And we're excited to bring you some great Hilliard guests, and above all, help to inform, promote, and unite our community. We're glad you're here. Go Green Hilliard is hosting a recycling collection on Saturday. Styrofoam can be dropped off behind Hilliard City Hall, and other items such as electronics and paper can be dropped off at the Community Center at Municipal Park. This will run from 10 to 12 o'clock. For more information, go to the City of Hilliard's website and click on View All Scheduled Events. The Hilliard Historical Society is hosting an open house this Saturday at the Historical Village at Weaver Park. The open house is from 1 to 4 p.m. and admission is free. There's more information on the Hilliard, Ohio Historical Society website, but I will tell you they said that there will be snacks and drinks. The musical 1776 is being presented by the Hilliard Arts Council the next two weekends, with shows Friday and Saturday nights and a matinee on each Sunday. Visit the Hilliard Arts Council website for tickets and more information. Good day, Hilliard. Welcome to 43026, a Hilliard podcast. I'm Heather. I'm Andy. And today we're talking about a program that I bet you don't even know exists, Hilliard's Recovery Court. It's an intensive two-year drug and alcohol recovery court process that was launched in 2019 as an alternative to incarceration to help people dealing with substance abuse disorders. And we're super lucky because we have with us Dawn Steele. She's the prosecutor and staff attorney for the city of Hilliard. She's a Hilliard resident. She's a former Franklin County uh, PD where she was back when I was a city prosecutor and got to know her probably 15 years ago. And additionally, we have with us one of my very favorite retired Franklin County Municipal Court judges, who's now the magistrate for Hilliard Recovery Court and others, and has an amazing background, amazing story, and a passion for this work. So please welcome also Judge Scott Vandercar. Hi, guys. Hello. Um, why don't we start with Judge Vandercar just telling us about your background and what brought you to the realization that even this kind of recovery court could exist, should exist, and would potentially help people. My story with specialties docket starts in 2001. Justice Stratton from the Supreme Court came to me and said, Scotty, start a mental health court. Um, and as the attorneys in the room know, if you go back to 20 years ago, the judicial system wasn't quite as warm and fuzzy towards specialized dockets. So it took us about two and a half years to convince the judges to allow us to start a mental health docket. So we started in 2004 with one employee. Um, in 2009, um, the county prosecutor asked me about doing a drug court. I quickly ran to Judge Herbert, who wanted to do the catch program, the human trafficking docket, said God just called because I knew if the county prosecutor was involved, we could get the money. And Absolutely. The bottom, bottom line is everything in government and in business, um, if you have the fun, if you can do it, if you have the funding. And the county prosecutor at that time was Ron O'Brien. Yes, exactly. And so um, we started in 2009 with the catch program, the human trafficking that Judge Herbert ran and I started the drug court along with the mental health docket that we had run since 2004. Then in 2010, 
um, Ron's back in my office and I'm saying you've got to help more people be in the program or we're not going to keep it going and he said well we're getting a lot of calls about heroin and, and parents and so I said okay um, you let more people in and we will uh, start another docket you know now we're 10 years down the road almost and so it was easy to call it OEP an opiate extension program off the drug docket to do now what is heart under Judge Thomas and Judge DeVarg is doing the drug court uh, since I left the bench. And then just to top it off, in 2012 we added the Veterans Court, right. ran all four other than the Catch Court, I ran all four so a lot of people would joke Don was probably behind my back saying I needed to be in mental health court trying <laughs> to run them all myself. Um, and now it's good, different judges are all doing them since I retired. Um, and Don, since I retired, took the job here in Hilliard and has done a wonderful job um, in spreading the passion. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a great program. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Hilliard's recovery court and how you got it started? Sure. So Hilliard was looking for an in-house prosecutor about three years ago. And when they were looking into that, I was doing some volunteer work in Hilliard, spreading word about opiates, educating parents, and got to know some of the city staff through that volunteer work. And, and let's just be clear for anybody listening, Hilliard always had a prosecutor. They were just utilizing a couple different ones as independent contractors, right? Correct. And so they were looking to hire a full-time person to handle the cases downtown and the cases in mayor's court? Correct. All right, and that's the position you took? Yeah, so I took that position, and but I reached out to the law director at the time and the public um, safety, or public safety director at the time, and mentioned, hey, I know you've been in conversations about maybe doing a drug court in Hilliard. If you want to do that, I have the skill set to be both the prosecutor and bring that type of program to Hilliard so you wouldn't have to hire two different people. You could just hire me with my background and I could do both. And the city was excited about that opportunity and that's restarted meetings and bringing in uh, retired Judge Vandekar with his experience to help us set up that program and, and move forward with creating that opportunity. So your experience as a public defender, you had obviously worked in the mental health court and had cases in that court. Correct. In downtown prior yeah. to coming and starting it here. Yes, it was very much as he said, the justice system was very different when I first started as an attorney. Right. And it was really, you know, Judge Vandekar was one of the people that started that and Justice Stratton to let's look at what's bringing people to court. What's their underlying causes? And we say nobody wakes up one day and says, I want to I want to be addicted to a substance. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to be a criminal today. Something happened. Maybe some people. Well, maybe some people. <laughs> Most people I have ha not. I have met a few that I have <laughs> concerns that they might wake up and say, yeah, today's the day. Um, I, but yeah. I guess I'd like you guys to expand a little bit more about pre-specialty dockets. Like in the early 90s or in the 80s, there was just no help for people well, that... What you would see, you would see a person come to you in front of the bench and the public defender probably, or a private counsel, but probably the public defender be saying, 
he's crazy. Just give him time served. I mean, he was in court all the time. The time. And then you, three months later, You'd see him in your courtroom, and he'd already been in another courtroom in between them, and the different public defender would be saying, he's crazy, just give him time served. What type of offenses would... Um, anything from a disorderly conduct, could see an assault. Maybe jaywalking sometimes without an ID, mm -hmm. so they might pick him up. Or a theft. Yeah. You know. um, definitely a issue for society if he's assaulting you or threatening you or even panhandling. Yeah, aggressively. Aggressive panhandling right. can be very intrusive. And you know, he's living on the streets too, you know, basically homeless. Uh, so you, you want to help that, but that wasn't occurring. And, and you saw that too, if you just turn to the drugs, drug things, more there probably and Don and Heather can both speak to that. Uh, too often, still in Ohio, too many people are in jail or in prison who have a substance use disorder that need to be getting treatment versus just being sent off to prison for a couple years only to come out and repeat the same behavior. And I thought, I don't know, you can edit it out if you want, but you might want them to hear what is a specialized docket because prior to a specialized docket somebody would get a conviction either be placed on probation and seen once a month maybe and by a probation officer maybe never seen again by the judge but in a specialized docket it's a two-year-long program where at least for the first six to nine months, you're gonna see the judge, your program coordinator, your PO, once a week. And the judge, you have to check in with the judge once a week. And it, it goes, we have in Hilliard five phases. Basically, you go phase one and two, you see the magistrate, the prosecutor, <clears throat> your PO, at least once a week and you're going to treatment during the week but you're checking in with the judge how that treatment is going and then after phase one and two then you come the first and third uh, Wednesday of the month and you do that for a number of months and then you work your way to where in the final phase you're coming once a month and then hopefully that's a two-year process and there's some science to that especially with um, drug addiction with opiates, there's scientific proof basically if you start using opiates at 16 and you're 26, your maturity is still 16. Your, your, your frontal lobe hasn't developed. But over the next two years, your frontal lobe, if you don't use, will catch up. So at the end of the program, you see somebody graduating at 28 and they're truly a 28-year-old. And of course, Don can talk about it more. The progression that we've seen over the last 20 years, at first it was just checking in with the judge. But now we've gone to realizing if you don't deal with housing, jobs, and transportation, along with their mental health and substance use disorders, then they're not going to be able to recover. If you deal with all those issues, 
they're going to recover. Don can talk about Hilliard and the individuals are substantially different as far as jobs, transportation, and housing than maybe downtown in Franklin County. On that topic, we have been fortunate that a lot of the people that are coming to us are still functioning in society. They've picked up a criminal charge, but they're maintaining a job or they have housing. So we have had a lot of people who come to us who they have jobs and because we've gotten them help, gotten them into treatment programs, and they, we work on honesty is one of the big first steps, and getting honest with their employer about what's been going on, their employers have been very supportive and allowed them to keep their jobs and work with them. So we've actually had very good luck with the people we were able to link with treatment, keep their employment. Um, we will work with them to get driving privileges if we need we put ankle monitors on them to make sure they don't consume alcohol. We have a random call-in, random drug screening where they're testing two to five times a week and they're testing for their treatment agencies. So we have, as long as we have a lot of things in place for public safety purposes, getting them the ability to have dry, limited drive privileges to get to their treatment, we've been very successful at being able to do that. And if it becomes a problem where they absolutely just don't have transportation, they can't get here, we then offer them the opportunity to do one of the recovery courts or specialized dockets downtown okay. where they can on the bus line get to where they need to get. So we will always offer whatever is best for them. And, and But the people who work and live here in Hilliard, that was one of the big draws was if we can do it here where they can do it on their lunch hour they can come see us wednesdays from noon to one on their lunch hour employers were open to letting them do that and do a lot of their reporting and testing here locally rather than having to drive all over the county it was a big draw to yeah, it was keeping them here. their job and just not us putting a bunch of unemployed people back on the streets after they had to go to jail for five days or something and miss all their shifts. So that's great. How How is the Hilliard Recovery Court funded? We have a couple different funding sources. During the initial two years of the program, we had an Adam H. grant with matching funds that City Council gave us that was uh, a 60-40 split, 60% from Adam H., 40% from City Council's approval. I then looked into federal grants and applied for a federal grant um, that was received for um, just under $500,000 for three years. So between the Adam H. funding and the federal grant funding, we are 100% uh, grant, fund, grant funded right now um, for at least the next two years. So there's no money coming from the city or city council right now, it's all grants. And that is a renewable grant as well oh, uh, that we can look into renewing. I think I'd make two points if I can, Heather. You can, you know, anytime you want, you jump in. Well, one, you know, when the person that doesn't have a lot of contact with the JISL system, they first think, and I'm saying, don't send them to prison, don't send them to jail. You as a citizen are better off because at the end of two years, this person has a job, they're paying taxes, they're taking care of their children, their children aren't being taken care of children's services. You are financially ahead and your community is safer 
than sending somebody to jail for 30 days, 90 days, or a year on a felony, and then have them back in your community without any real help. Then the other thing is, if Magistrate Shannon sends somebody to jail for 30 days on his normal docket from Hilliard, Hilliard's going to pay Franklin County 80 to $90 a day to have that person in jail. So 30 days is going to cost you uh, $2,500 to $3,000. Per person. Per person. Right. So the cost of having the program is well worth it when you look at what jail nights cost. And prison is just as expensive or more so. Yeah, I think that's a great point. We've talked about that even too with just resources in the city that we are so fortunate in this community that both the police department and the Norwich Township Fire Department saw the need for this type of program because of the repeat need of encountering people who were under the influence of alcohol or under the influence of drugs and the repeat calls and having just the number of services calls to have to go on. So that's just like the true money costs and then as we always say you can never put a price on somebody's life no, if you can right. get them the resources and the help and the treatment and as magistrate said that research is showing the longer these programs have been around that they work the success rates are way higher than just regular probation and the cost of the jail but then if they just do jail and get out you haven't given them any resources to fix the underlying problem they're just going to come back again so you just have to add all that together. You're saving lives, you're saving money, you're creating productive citizens. That I just think that's the concept that we really, I was introduced to when I was a public defender working in the court with the specialized dockets. And I really have seen initially through my defense work, but now even in my prosecution work and being a member of this community and having our first graduation of the lives we truly have changed. And, and you made a good point, Don, too, of the police and fire and their support of the program here in Hilliard. I would, again, if somebody's listening and thinking, your father has a heart attack and you're calling a squad to your home, you want them there as quick as possible. And if they're on a run with someone overdosing and that delays a minute or two, five minutes it can make a big difference in the life of your father so if we are getting people not overdosing and not having runs by the police it makes it safer from a health standpoint yeah i agree with that so how do you determine who qualifies does everybody who come in with a dui qualify or is there a qualification process that you go through so the main criteria we're looking for is high risk, high need. So someone that has a high risk clinically of reoffending and high need for services that can just be addiction services, that they just need help with addiction services. As we said, some people, some programs, you're dealing with homelessness, you're dealing with job readiness. We are prepared and have resources to help with all those things, but we're looking at and there are screening tools that have been scientifically accepted. Ohio has the ORAS that we use to look for high risk, high need, and if they meet that criteria, 
I am the initial screener with my experience of what I've seen, the warning signs of the police reports, their history, contacts with the system that has the warning signs. We've also had a lot of communication with the police department to what they know about the person, their prior contacts, to put in the police report. So as I'm reading a police report, I can identify and have the information in front of me to know that this is someone that we've had a lot of contact with that needs help or the officer had a conversation with them and the person wants help and that puts it on my radar of an initial screening and then we have staff uh, that are coordinators of the program that I then hand it off to. So this program began in Hilliard what, what year? 2018. And you just mentioned we've had a graduation. How many people have we served through our our court in Hilliard? Was it, was it 2019? It Sorry. was 19. It was 19. Okay. I, I started working on it in 18 <laughs> and a lot of legwork to get into it, but we actually started accepting people in 19. Um, so the numbers, my coordinators keep those numbers in spreadsheets. We have to report all of that as part of our grants. We give updates to city council. But what I can tell you is... Do you hear that, Andy? They give updates to city council. They, they do. And as the city council member, we're all for grant-funded programs. <laughs> I can tell you that. It's half the game of stretching a budget. Yeah. It, it, it is something that's, that I feel very passionate about and is very important. So if we can get grant funding, and I can go back to answering your question, but what I can say is... This is, this is, I guess, the innovative next step in specialized dockets is how can we get to people sooner? How can we get them help when they've got their first case, their second case, instead of waiting till they've been in and out of jail and in and out of the system multiple times? Lost their kids. Yeah, lost their housing, lost their jobs. So this is very much a model that is supported by the federal government, which is the the big grant that we have now but we also got letters of support from the governor's office and their Ohio Mental Health and Addiction Services Board and from the Ohio Supreme Court saying yes we support this this if we can get them at a local level in mayor's courts so we really are on the forefront in Ohio of of offering a new service that they're using us kind of as the model and we are fortunate to have this in our community and to be doing that. For graduation, we graduated four people. Our graduation speaker was wonderful, you know, born and raised here in Hilliard and just talked about how this opportunity completely turned her life around and changed it. The other three individuals, it's the longest period of sobriety that they've had since they were teenagers and they talk about how they now finally feel that this is what they needed, that this is the program they needed. And another one of the born and raised Hilliard individuals, his parents, the night he was stopped had told the officer, I don't know what else to do anymore. I don't know how to help him. I don't know how, I don't know what to do for him anymore, for her adult son in his 40s. And when she heard about this program, he was the first person we took in. At the end of all this, she said she's so thankful that this program is here because without it, she doesn't know where he would be right now, and he wasn't able to turn his life around any other way, and they are, are super, super thankful. And as Judge pointed out, even without the grants or the funds, it's, it's value. it brings value to our community to offer those services and to, to 
have this program in place. And we did graduate another person just here in January because of COVID. Courts were shut down and we weren't taking people in, but we did graduate our, our last of the people we took in pre-COVID. And then we now have 10 active people right. that are in all varying phases. Um, some of them are uh, a little over a year in their sobriety. And then we have our newest person is 30 days in sobriety. So just by knowing that you have a graduation, does that also mean on the flip side, there are people that don't make it through the program? There are. What we always talk about is planting the seed, that if we can reach out to people, get them connected with treatment. The research shows that usually the first time somebody goes to treatment, either inpatient or outpatient. It's gonna fail. It, the percentage of success is a lot lower. And I'm by sure. the third time, the success rates go up um, a much higher. So even if we can get them to go to an assessment, get them started, get them some skills, get those seeds planted, so if they do go back and relapse when they need help next time, they know where to go, they know who to ask, they know um, what's out there and what's available. And one of the conversations I have with people is, we were talking about how the criminal justice system used to look, that people have this idea in their mind that if, when I walk into a courtroom, everybody in that courtroom is out to get me, and they're here to, <laughs> they're to find a way to put me in jail. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it absolutely <laughs> has to be true, <laughs> and there are those cases. And to be clarified, we're not talking about violent right. crimes. We're not talking about victim crimes. We're talking about drug-related thefts, of stealing low-level monetary items, um, those kind of things. We're not talking about those people that need to be in jail. <laughs> Trauma-informed care is basically where you are headed in that the judicial system over the last 10 years is starting to realize instead of asking what have you done, what, what happened to you, why are you, what caused you to be there. Trauma-informed care is part of it. And, and it really is true because so many people have been through a lot of trauma in their life. We see it in some of our current clients as far as physical abuse, sexual abuse in their background and things like that. Judge Herbert and I used to talk a lot. He ran the, as I mentioned, the human trafficking court and for years and has a huge passion, nationally known at this point, expert on it, of the seeds planted because especially in the early years with catch it was hard to get the system and the clients to understand what you were trying to accomplish and many didn't graduate but the seed that was planted many people came back years later and said that seed made a difference in my life well and i think and you guys can correct me if i'm wrong but when you think that through you know that brain damage that drugs and alcohol do and it takes that time for the brain to start healing for some of this to stick so it it makes sense and probably the same way with catch court you've got um mostly women uh, I, I would say mm -hmm. who have been traumatized and brainwashed uh, a certain way and and probably drug and alcohol addicted and yeah it it takes a minute for somebody to recognize that they're worth saving yes i think yes absolutely all many we were talking about in court today 
many of these people have been told by their family they're less than, yeah. they've been kicked out of the family, their family doesn't communicate with them anymore. And so to give them positive feedback, just like Don said, somebody 30 days clean, and you clap for them for being 30 days clean, that might be the most positive reinforcement they've seen in years. And, but, and you don't even just clap for them. Let's tell the people what you do. You bring them cake. You bring them <laughs> bananas. You bring them treats. And it is really cool to see how excited people get. Yeah, they get cake because Judge Vandercar is on the bench today. It's really cool. Try to treat them right. And we, yeah, when birthdays and, and sobriety milestones, we really try to make those special days for them. Anytime we can give them certificates for phasing up. Right. Something easy, cheap, right? Like, but it, it does mean something. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially for people who in their life have, have felt like they've let everybody down. and that They didn't get the certificates in high school graduation or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or they didn't get a birthday party from their family because they had been ostracized, which... Yeah, we understand the reasons, and that's a whole other complicated subject of, sure. of the families. But when they are ready to be in recovery and make those changes, to you know, like I said, make them feel like they are worth it, like they that, and people care about them. And that's what we were talking to you about when they first walk into that courtroom and they talk to me, and to set that tone from the beginning. And our mayor's court really does try to do that. To say this is a justice system this is about finding justice we're not out to get people we're not out to find reasons to punish people we're about public safety and justice and so to have that conversation in a different way than what they see on tv or <laughs> that they had in their mind to have that first conversation with a prosecutor be hey this person actually cares what's going on in my life that led to this and is actually saying, if you're interested in our help, we have staff who can set you up with an assessment and we can send you out the door today. We can get you a bed in treatment today. We can get you linked with an assessment in the next week. Because through these programs, we set up priority where we can get people in faster and link them and we can email or text somebody and have it set up for them right now and to have that be their experience with the court and the court staff makes a world of difference on how they feel open to being in a program like this and open to realize hey maybe the court is trying to help me they're not just looking for reasons to throw me in jail and it takes a while and everybody at their own pace but some some people sit in the program and see it right away. Some people have to be with us for six months or longer sometimes to realize, oh, you really do care about me. <laughs> but that it really does make a difference if you can set that tone with them. Yeah, I agree. Are there other suburbs or municipalities that have implemented a, sil a similar recovery court? So the first one was Upper Arlington did a trial program it is still in place, but it's kind of in transition because they changed some city staff. Then Whitehall did a similar program, not exactly the same. They transitioned to more of a diversion program. And then when we got our funding from Adam H., uh, Judge Van Dekar was able to secure for Reynoldsburg and Hilliard at the same time 
uh, we were able to secure funding. So Reynoldsburg is running one as well. And we do communicate and we have with Adam H, we have quarterly meetings with them and with Upper Arlington, Reynoldsburg and the Hilliard staff to share ideas, what's working, what are your challenges? And Adam H, you know, is asking what can we do to further support this? So those are the the three that are up and running right now. I know there's always talk and conversations if we can and do more. And part of our grant, we also, we basically created, the judges talking about how when they started drug court, they did different versions and different levels. This program is the high risk, high need. Sometimes we have people come to us who don't meet the high risk, high need for the full two year program, but they still really need, yeah. need help or they need an assessment in linkage. So with our federal grant funding, I was able to create what we call a recovery education program that's kind of a step down from that that meets them where they fall on the risk need category and it's modeled after a similar program that the City of Columbus is doing and is working with Grove City as well. So we're always communicating with other cities in the area about what programs they're doing what's helping, what's seeing success rates. So we've been doing that um, for about nine months now. Okay. If it, and if it's a lower level offense, we're talking minor misdemeanors, low M4s, which are the low end, and then a misdemeanor. Drug paraphernalia or? Something like that, that it, it clearly, yeah, they had some marijuana on them yeah. or they had some drug paraphernalia, but they didn't have needles. They didn't have... They had a baggie with some marijuana residue or something like that. Yeah, no. or some wrapping wrappers or a scale. Um, they're in the misdemeanor world, very low level, but those are the type of people, if you can get, get them, them help now when they have their first charge or two and it's a low charge, Whereas we were talking historically, the justice system would be like, oh, you don't have a prior record. It's a minor charge. Fine. Here. Like, Bye. Like, right. like, like money. Like, here's your fine and court costs. Yeah. Here's your fine and court costs. Pay your money. Go out the door. Well, that didn't change anything about their path or what next decisions or they were going to make in their left or right. their behaviors. And so we will say, hey, we'll set you up with an assessment. Something is making you turn to this. Do you have an underlying anxiety or depression disorder that you need to talk to somebody about? Are you just young and you just need to realize, hey, these are, these are things that can follow you through your life and decisions you're making, so you just kind of need you know, a marijuana education class or there's what's called thinking for change. Of do you just need to sit down one-on-one -on -one with somebody to talk about what your goals in life are and trying to find things that are actually going to change their behavior, make them a productive citizen, get them on a better path versus just have them pay a fine and nothing impactful to change what brought them to court happened. So that's really the path that Ohio and court systems are on. And just super thankful we've had the opportunity here in Hilliard to really be on the forefront of that. All right. Can you tell us, I mean, obviously no names, but who is your or what is your favorite recovery story? Like maybe somebody you didn't expect. Um, and, and you can go back far if you want to Franklin County Municipal Court days, but somebody you didn't didn't expect to do much and they surprised the heck out of you and 
So I have one. He was my client early in my career. And when I was new to all of this and it was kind of on the cusp of the just give them jail, you know, sit them there for, for 90 days, six months, let them out, <laughs> and then they're out and you have, they've lost their job, they've lost their house, they've lost any government benefits they had, and you didn't give them any resources to change what brought them there in the first place. And you just gave them more drug dealers to meet in jail. Yes, and more bad influences and ideas of people of who they could connect with when right. they got out. So that was kind of where we were, or it was there just weren't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of funding put into resources. So I, we had clients we knew needed help, we knew needed mental health treatment, and there just wasn't anywhere to send them. There was no place to link them up with, or every place had really long waiting lists. So to expect them to get out of jail and make an appointment in three months right. is just not realistic when they have no support services in between. So we were in that transition of these specialized dockets and I really saw with my clients how that was working. And I had a client who suffered from alcohol and drug addiction and we got him involved in those programs and got him into an inpatient facility. It was pre-drug court, but we used an inpatient facility and then a probation officer who had a passion that was kind of on the forefront of this thinking. And that was very early on and fast forward at least 10 years if not more and when I was moving and these movers came to my house and one of the guys that was doing the moving was like were you my public defender no back in the day and, and you were like I was like uh, how I. did the case turn out <laughs> before I answer that and as soon as he said it and I looked at his face I was like oh my gosh I totally remember I'm like but we did a background check on this company it's a reputable company like they do background checks and when he went into recovery he decided after that he stayed with it was fully embraced he went and got his um, recovery peer mentor certificates and stayed in the recovery community and was actually going to class to become a recovery counselor. Oh, that's a great and story. And he's yeah. like, I just wanted to tell you, he's like, you know, wow. that when you talked to me about this and helped to leave me with some of those resources that, that helped me start on the right path. So those are the moments that that's it's when you can story. see somebody that survived, because unfortunately in doing this work, we've lost a lot of people. Right. Even people who had long periods of sobriety we've lost them and so those are the things you have to cling to that's the hope that you can help people that you can make a difference when i was on the bench i was not a facebook fan because i saw so many people post things that maybe later in life they wouldn't want to have out in society Absolutely. but when i left the bench some people encouraged me to have a facebook presence it's all about substance use disorder and, and the beautiful thing as far as positive things is I'm seeing people with their own businesses that went through drug court, people having their second and third child, you know, and having life together that graduated drug court. But probably the warm and fuzzy story, my last day in court, court's breaking up, People are saying goodbye, and this young lady, about 26, comes through the crowd and says, Judge, my son wants you to have his teddy bear. You might have heard this. Well, story. I read it in a, in a 
the dispatch. Yep, in a newspaper article about yeah. you. My hair stands up every time I tell it because I'm like, you know me, I'm a people pleaser. I can't take your son's teddy bear. And she said, no, my son wants you to have his teddy bear because he, you gave him back his mother. And you think about that deeper. It means mom's working. It means mom has custody. It means grandparents aren't raising the child. Children's services doesn't have the child. The person is a productive citizen and a child has their parent back. And so I still carry that teddy bear to many meetings um, today because it just it, that's what specialized dockets are about. You know, giving that back to our community is saving lives. And, you know, even for children, having their parents back. A hundred percent. That is an amazing story. Uh, do you want to talk about livesback.org at all? You know, I left the bench with the goal of starting as many drug courts as I could, and that's what Lives Back is for. I thought there'd be more large corporations that have helped create the epidemic. That, yeah, would that might want to jump in and help out. Help. I haven't seen as much, although we, through that organization, were able to help, I'd say, 10 to 15 courts get started around the state my goal would have been hundreds right but maybe we, somebody listening will be like well why are why, why aren't we donating we and that? contributing to this you know but i continue i have three or four nonprofits now that do different things in the substance use arena trying to help people and that's the bottom line is changing lives like my teddy bear story and, and the graduates, I mean, she talked about the keynote speaker graduate. She is already sponsoring and helping and giving back to other people. And she just graduated our program. 21. Yeah, it's, you start to lose track because of COVID. Yeah, sure. COVID, sure. Has COVID made killed it, it all. COVID made it a really weird, but um, she's really giving back already and changing other people's lives and being supportive to other people. And, and that's a synergistic effect. This is, your guys, it's a wonderful story. And I, I have two reflections just sitting here listening to this and soaking it all in. One is it, it's amazing that it took till the late 1990s or 2000 for this type of, programs to start and and they've come a long way but there's a long right. way to go obviously and in some ways it seems like oh that was really forward thinking in some ways you're like what the heck why did it take so long it's yeah exactly and then second i'm so thankful that we have this program in hilliard and we don't have yeah, this, this is program where we live, if it's not right? for don right and if it's not for you judge and uh and i mean this is where my kids drive on the roadways yeah. and they go to school and yeah I, but every person we can help be better but your work and your passion have have made a big difference in our community and it's it's a it's a wonderful story well Don did a great job of setting it all up well I think one thing that we can from a call to action point to to any listener is if you um, you know if you're in this situation it it is a, a a resource Hilliard has can somebody just ask hey can I talk to that great Dawn Steele lady who might help me would they be able to do that if they've picked up an offense and they think they may qualify or 
is it 100% you're reviewing and you make the decision? So we are open to help anybody that needs help. They don't even need to have a case. So they walk in off the street and say, that. I mean, that's a... Yeah. That's they can walk fantastic. into the building over at the Joint Safety Services building. We always say if you don't feel comfortable going to the police <laughs> side because that might be a little awkward. Go to the fire Go side. to the fire side. And the fire has my phone number. They have Sam Smith is our newest coordinator that there is full-time, has an office in the building. And then Stacy Pratt has been with us from the beginning in building the program. They They have my phone number. They have their phone numbers. And we absolutely, we will connect anybody to treatment. If they don't have a case, it doesn't matter. The goal is to help. We did that already from the beginning, but as part of the federal grant, we pledged that as well, that anybody that came to us and said they need help with linkage to treatment, that we will offer that. They don't have to have a case. Or if they have a speeding ticket and they just happen to be in mayor's court and say, I have a family member or I I feel like I need some help with something. I feel really proud right now that we have this, (laughs) you know? It, it is. It's just been the perfect coming together of people with the right passions and being open-minded to this. You know, we say it seems it seems like a simple concept, but it it does take money. And right. in the beginning, you know, that the council took the leap of faith to do some matching funds to give us the chance to do this until we could secure more grant funding and, and to show the difference that it really makes. But not every community has a police department that is on board with these types of programs and this type of thinking and we are so fortunate that our police department like when they talk about community policing and putting community safety and in our citizens and helping our citizens they mean it they are the perfect example of that and and i can wholeheartedly say they have been supportive of this and in conjunction with the fire department and everybody and city council and community members saying whatever we can do to help people in this community and without all of that support this wouldn't be possible. Thank you. Thank you both for being here today and telling us about this amazing resource we have here in Hilliard. We really appreciate it and we are we're glad you're here. We hope you're here a really long time. Thank you. Really appreciate the work you do, and thanks for sharing this fabulous story with us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, well, keep listening. Hit subscribe so you never miss a podcast. We hope to bring you all the Hillier news to inform, promote, and unite our city. Thanks for being here. Thank you.